Welcome back to the podcast. In this next series of sermons, we're talking about our purpose, our mission, and our values here at First Pres. We're calling it the Bare Necessities, which might seem a little silly, but you'll understand as we go along. We're using the Gospel of John and the Book of Genesis. I hope you enjoy it. So last week, Sabrina kicked off our first new sermon series in quite a while since August. I still can't believe you guys put up with Revelation for like nine months, but you did. It's good. Uh, So we're calling this new series The Bare Necessities, and all of you grammarians, we know it's wrong, and it's like that on purpose, so just hang. Uh, Our mission at First Pres, uh, it comes straight from Jesus. It says this, it says, therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And we believe that if that is our mission, to be disciple-making disciples, that we have to be a people who are growing in some specific areas, and we've identified four of them that are just really central to the Christian faith. The first one is we need to be a people who are biblically literate. We need to be a people who are spiritually formed. We need to be a people who are mission-focused, not just focused on ourselves, but focused on others and the world around us. And we need to be a people who are gospel-fluent. So that's what we'll be talking about for the next couple weeks. And we believe that these are the bare necessities because if we're going to be a church that doesn't just settle for putting people in the pews, if we're going to be a church that truly pursues our mission to be disciple-making disciples of Jesus, then it is necessary that we bear these values into the world. Do you see what we're doing there? Uh, Just a hint, there's like a ton of bears coming up all year, all the way through Advent. You're gonna be meeting some different bears and we're excited to show them to you. But we need to put these values on display for the world to see. Now, here's the deal about values. Values aren't goals. They're not like some final thing to be attained. There's not this measure that unless you're this biblically literate, you can't go serve the kingdom of God. That's not what values are. Values are a guide. They're a guide as we grow and become more and more mature followers of Jesus. To be a disciple-making disciple, it's a necessity that we bear Christ into the world. Now, all who are in Christ do that now. And as we grow and mature, we do it more and more. We do that by becoming more and more familiar with Jesus, knowing his story, by growing to love him more, by being his hands and feet in the world, and by sharing this beautiful good news that we've received. So last week, Sabrina started by reframing this idea of biblical literacy, and she reminded us of something really important. It's not about becoming a biblical scholar. It's not about memorizing every Bible verse. It's just about sitting at the feet of Jesus and receiving his word. It's a habit, it's a practice that draws us closer to the heart of our Savior when we do it. Over time, as we do this, we will come to know more about the Bible, and that's good. But the goal is to become more and more familiar with Jesus. I don't want to just know things about him. I want to know him. And then I want what's up here to make its way down here. So today we're gonna take the next step. We're gonna reframe the value of spiritual formation. Life in Christ that's empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we're gonna do that starting with John 15. So uh, these are the words of Jesus. John says, I am the true vine 
and my father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the world, by the word that I have spoken to you. Now abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And then he says this, he says, my father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for it. What I love about this passage is that it simply means what it says. It means what it says, and it means what it means. Jesus sometimes can be confusing and difficult to understand. Not here. I don't need to be a gardener to understand this. If we are not in Christ, not only will we not bear fruit into the world, we simply can't survive as we were created to live. If we do not remain connected to him, if we are not attached to the vine, then we wither we're gathered and we're thrown into the fire. And I don't know about you, I've got a goal of staying out of the fire. <laughs> and I'd like to help some others stay out of the fire too. But if I'm gonna do that, I have to do more than just bring them to church. I need to bring them to Jesus. I need to introduce them to Jesus. I need to help them see that they have to be connected to the vine if they're gonna find real life real meaning and purpose for this life and hope for the life to come. So we believe, we trust that the resurrection power of God can reconnect dead branches to the vine. That's the promise. That's the Easter promise. That's the incredible good news that we all have to share, that this dead branch can be reconnected through God's resurrection power. But now keep thinking through this analogy for a minute. Once that branch has been reconnected to the vine, it's given new life. Once it receives the nourishment that it needs from that vine, what naturally happens? What will the branch naturally begin to do? It'll bear fruit. It'll flourish. If that vine, if that branch are cared for by an attentive and skilled gardener, the vine will flourish the branches will grow, they'll produce fruit. But here's the key, notice how I said this. What will the branch naturally do? A branch doesn't bear fruit because it tries to bear fruit. <laughs> if it's connected to the vine, it just bears fruit, that's what it does. A branch cut off from that vine withers and dies, a branch connected to the vine just produces fruit more and more of it as it grows and as it matures. Yes, sometimes this branch produces some bad fruit. <laughs> there could be some nasty rotten fruit coming off this branch. The good news is the gardener takes care of that too. 
And over time, that branch becomes healthier. When the bad fruit is discarded, the branch is pruned and cared for so that new good fruit can be made. So it's a really simple analogy. God is the gardener. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. Can I tell you a secret about spiritual formation? About what it means to live life in Christ empowered by the Holy Spirit? All you have to do is be a branch. That's all you have to do. That's all we can do. Allow the gardener's resurrection power to take a dead branch and bring it to life. He is the one who does all the work. All you have to do is receive the gift, that resurrected, reconnecting power, and then remain or abide, or I like the way the message says it. The message says, make your home in Christ as Christ remains, abides, and makes his home in you. One of the ironies of this past year, because of COVID and everything that we've had to do, um, it's actually given me the opportunity to spend more time with more of you than I ever did before in ministry. In addition to actual time with y'all in person, I spend six hours a week right now on Zoom, but six hours a week with different groups of you. And we're even joined by people from all around the country. I was telling a friend the other day, right now I spend more time with the people of the church every week than I do in meetings about the church every week. And hallelujah for that. <laughs> and that is a thing that post COVID will never change. It's a commitment that I'm making to myself. But over this past week, uh, in almost all of these online Bible studies and meetings that we've done, the conversation about what it means to bear fruit and what it means to be in Christ, it came up. And it came up in a really unique way. So when that happens consistently all week long, I feel like that's the Holy Spirit inviting me to share that with you as well. So we're turning to scripture to know more about Jesus and we're gonna see if this will help us understand more about what it means to be spiritually formed. But to do this, I wanna take you back all the way to Genesis 2. Can you guys handle co-entwined metaphors today? Can you handle two metaphors at once? I think it's gonna make some sense. Let's try this. Uh, this is the second creation story. It is a different creation story than the first. And if you wanna learn why that is, you can join my Wednesday night class on Genesis 1 through 11. We meet every Wednesday at 7.30 and you can find the Zoom link online. But here's what Genesis 2 says about the creation of man. It says, in the day that the Lord God made the, made the earth and the heavens, when no plant of the field was yet in the earth and no herb of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth and there was no one to till the ground. Are you guys picking up all the gardening <laughs> imagery here? It's almost like it's a theme. Remember that. But a stream would rise from the earth and water the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. So that final verse is what I want to focus on. And I want, imagine it, okay? Like kind of see this play out in your mind. This creation story is like from the perspective of the earth. The Lord God is here. And he forms the man out of the dust of the ground. He gets his hands dirty. He digs into the dirt. He brings together these elements of creation in order to form our physical bodies out of the clay. And then look what he does next. And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. All right, now if you'll indulge me for a minute, 
A short Hebrew lesson is going to help us see something really beautiful here. So the word for God's breath in the Old Testament is the Hebrew word ruach. And I would invite you to say it, but I don't want you spitting on each other. So maybe when COVID's over, we can practice saying that. But from a New Testament perspective, when you see the word ruach, you know that the writer is talking about the spirit of God. And we know it as a New Testament people as the Holy Spirit. Now, there's one other way that the Old Testament refers to God's breath, and it's the word neshama. It's only used three times, and it's always a synonym for when God's breath is breathing life into a created being. God's spirit, his breath, bringing that that created thing to life. So Genesis 2 is telling us, is painting this picture that he forms our bodies from the elements of creation. Then he breathes his breath, his neshama, into us. And then it tells us, once the physical body is now breathing the breath of God, that's when the man became a living being. Now one more word. The word for living being is the word nefesh. But this is weird because that Hebrew word literally means your throat. (laughs) So God breathed into the lump of clay and the man became a throat. You can see how challenging it is to translate Hebrew to English. But when you understand that Hebrew is a painfully practical language, it's a language that paints pictures, not definitions. This actually makes a ton of sense. Just think about what happens here. What happens here? If you put your hand on your throat right now, what are you gonna feel? You're gonna feel your heartbeat. Your breath passes in and out through your nefesh. Food and water passes through your nefesh, ideally only going in one direction. When scripture refers to humans as living beings created in the image of God, it does it by describing the practical means by which we breathe, the means by which we are nourished and hydrated. When God breathed his neshama, his breath into us, our nefesh received that breath. That's when we became fully human, living beings, image bearers of God. So the chemist and the biologist are right, right? Humans are physical matter. We're formed from the same elements as all the rest of creation. But we're different. We're more than just that. Because we have been uniquely empowered to receive, to breathe in and out the breath and the spirit of God. We are a nefesh. The question is, Without that breath, then what are we? In Genesis 3, we find out. It's the story that unfortunately the breath of God wasn't good enough for us. So let me connect some dots really quick and we'll go back to that. In John 20, uh, verses 21 and 22, this is after the resurrection. Jesus appears to his disciples. They're terrified. They're hiding away in the upper room and he says this. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, so I send you. When he said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. 
Again, put that picture in your mind. You follow your rabbi for three years. He's crucified. He's dead. All of a sudden, he appears in front of you, says a couple words, and then what does he do? (sighs) All over you. I mean, thankfully, his body was glorified. I think his breath was probably under control. (laughs) But it's a weird story. For John's gospel, that's his version of the Pentecost story. That's the moment when the Holy Spirit was given to his first disciples. But it's a really weird way to tell the story. Unless you remember Genesis 2. And John writes his gospel with the whole book of Genesis in mind. He wants you to remember Genesis 2. He wants you to remember what happened in Genesis 3. He wants you to remember the whole story from beginning to end. This story about a lump of clay formed in God's image, filled with the breath and the spirit of God. And then that lump of clay was tempted to believe that it would be better off without God's spirit. So it decided that it would try to survive on its own. The creature that once breathed the breath of God settled for suffocating. It settled for gasping through this life without it. That's the tragedy of the story is that we cut ourselves off from the vine. Buying into the lie that we can sustain ourselves through our own power, by our own breath. And in doing that, the world turned to chaos and disorder because of it. Our lives turned to chaos and disorder because of it. We replaced the breath of God with our own hot air. And when all we have to exhale is that last bit of our own hot air, What remains? A human made in the image of God is a body. Elements of the created world around us that's brought to life with the very breath of God. Without God's breath in us, we are just something else. And that something else has no more future than a branch that's been separated from its vine. It will simply wither and die. It cannot survive. Have you ever watched the news and tried to understand how humans can do things to one another that are so inhuman? Have you ever wondered why sometimes it seems like beings created in the image of God with the breath of God can act just like the wild animals around us? And it cannot go on. We will not survive. After the Genesis class this past Wednesday, somebody from the class sent me this text. He said, when it talks about being reborn in the New Testament and receiving the Holy Spirit, are we essentially being recreated? Is God breathing into the lump of clay again? Hallelujah. Amen. (laughs) Absolutely. I had to jump off the class really quick because we were running late and I had to take Anna to dance, or I had to pick her up from dance. So he texted me, don't text while you're driving. It's dangerous. Um, Okay, so then I texted him back. I said this. I said, absolutely. The Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone is united with Christ, that person is what? A new creation. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. And then told him not to worry. I was too late. Jennifer left, got Anna. It was all safe. I didn't have to drive. Y'all, Jesus is offering another way. 
We tried to rewrite the story, but he's giving us a new story with a radically different ending than the one we planned for ourselves. He takes a group of scared, confused followers and replaces all their hot air with his life-giving spirit once again. And when he did that, in that instant, they became new creations, transformed from scared, confused followers into apostles and saints. Go read the Gospels. The disciples are a mess. They never know what's going on. They fail over and over and over again. In the book of Acts, they're still clearly human, but there is something different. Without Jesus with them, they are able to accomplish miracles. Because that life-giving spirit of God was breathed back into those lumps of clay, that enabled them to bear fruit in their lives that has extended for 2,000 years and has brought us here today. It is evidence that God's resurrection power, the promise that it makes to reconnect us to the vine, it's true. All we have to do is accept the gift. God's spirit fills us again and gives us new life, replaces our hot air with his life-giving breath, makes us whole again, a body made of elements from the created world, but filled with the very breath of God, which enables us to glorify and enjoy him forever. Jesus tells us in John 15, my father is glorified by this. This is what glorifies God, that we bear fruit and that we become his disciples. You know, our faith tells us that the answer to the question, why am I here? The answer to the question, what is the meaning of life? Is this to glorify God, enjoy him forever by being reborn, being remade, a new creation, becoming fully human once again, his true image bearers, by being branches that are reconnected to the vine. Well, I really think that this is the heart of spiritual formation. Just be a branch. You don't have to be the whole tree. You can't. Not only that, but whatever kind of branch you are, just be that kind of branch. <laughs> if you're on a vine that grows grapes, grow grapes. Don't worry that somebody else is a peach <laughs> or somebody else is growing apples or oranges. That's what makes the bounty so plentiful is when we all come together, each of us bearing the specific fruit that we have been designed to bear. Not trying to figure out which one is better, it's all the same fruit of the spirit. Just be a branch. Bear the fruit that you've been created to bear. Remain in him, abide in him, make your home in him as he remains, abides, and makes his home in you. If we do this, we will bear fruit. So quickly, there's a couple practical things that we can do that help us on this journey. Uh, so last spring uh, and summer, Sabrina made this series of spiritual formation videos she made them to teach us some new and ancient practices that help keep us connected to the vine. And later on today, if you go to the website next to the video for this, uh, for this worship service, uh, there's gonna be a link that'll take you to those videos. You, use them. They are great resources that'll help you as you continue to become more and more spiritually formed 
as a disciple of Jesus. And y'all, listen, for real, they're really good. And I'm not just bragging on Sabrina. Uh, A professor at Fuller Seminary contacted Sabrina and said, hey, I watched your videos. Do you mind if I use them with my students? This is solid stuff. Really good resources that are right there for you on our website to be used all throughout the year. But today, I wanna leave you with one thing. I wanna give you one practice that you can do right now. It's a practice that'll remind you who you are It'll remind you who made you and it'll remind you of why you're here. This is a practice that for me, it helps when the chaotic world around me is just too much. Spiritual formation is as simple as being a branch. Then the first step for you is to just breathe. Just breathe. Slow, steady, intentional, deep, rhythmic breathing. And I'm not talking about weird meditation or anything. Breathe and remember as your nefesh is filled with his neshama as you breathe, remember it's the breath of God traveling through your throat, filling your lungs, his spirit flowing through your veins so that you can live this life to the fullest and have the hope of enjoying life everlasting. As you do it, uh, I want to teach you two things. Uh, one is an ancient Christian prayer, and the other is an old Jewish word. Uh, so first, the prayer. Um, as you breathe in silently to yourself, you say, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God. And as you exhale, say to yourself, have mercy on me, a sinner. And repeat over and over Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. If you do this, it can become a constant, never-ceasing prayer that's always running in the back of your mind, a resource to turn to in an instant when everything around you is just too much. So that's the prayer, now the word. Um, And listen, this comes from an ancient rabbinic tradition. This is from really old rabbis. And I'm just gonna be honest, some of the old rabbis are weird. (laughs) They say some weird things. So you need to take this for what it's worth. But I do, this has been helpful for me, so I just wanna share it with you. Now the Jewish people, you may or may not know, they don't write or say the name God. If you look online, it's always G with a dash and then D. They never spell the name out and they won't say it because it's holy And they believe that we're unholy and unworthy of saying his name. So in the Old Testament, that name is Yahweh. That's how we say it because we put vowels in it. But in Hebrew, it's spelled with four letters, no vowels. It's the Hebrew letters Yot, Het, Vav, Het. When we put it in English, Y-H-W-H. Really quick, try to say that word without any vowel sounds. I can't tell if they're trying. It's the masks or... (laughs) There are ancient rabbis that argue that the reason that we don't speak the name is not because we're unworthy, but because it's not pronounceable. (laughs) That it was given to us without vowel sounds on purpose because they believe that the name of God is simply meant to be the sound of breathing. And they argue that when a baby takes its first breath, what did it just do? Spoke the name of God for the first time. When we take our final breath on earth, what did we just do? Spoke the name of God for one last time. 
a people who believe that we're not worthy enough to speak or to write the name of God, they also tell us that we are speaking the name of God every time we breathe. Play out the implications of that. People who would deny God with their lips, speaking his name every time they breathe. That'll drive atheists crazy. (laughs) That's not a good place to start when you're trying to convert somebody. That's a rabbinic tradition, it's not scripture, so you take it for what it's worth. But practically speaking for me, that rhythmic prayer and the reminder of that name, those two things are constantly playing in the back of my mind. That ancient Christian prayer and that old Jewish word have sustained me. They sustained me years ago through a time of debilitating anxiety and panic. Medication couldn't. These simple things did. They are important parts of what has kept me connected to the vine, a simple prayer and the reminder that every time I breathe, I am proclaiming that I am who God made me to be. In our home, I think sometimes that might get a little weird. We don't really talk about this much, but like when things get tense, (laughs) I start. (sighs) And they probably think it's because I'm really mad, but I'm not. It's just become such a habit that when I get tense, when I get stressed, when I get worried, when I'm afraid, whatever it is, my immediate reaction is, that's an example of spiritual formation, a simple practice over time that becomes a pattern of life that roots you in the truth of who God is and who he made you to be. For the past 10 years, that simple act of breathing has been a way of helping me take what's up here and planting it here. It's my friend Terry Looper who says, the farthest distance in the universe is the distance between the head and the human heart. And the Holy Spirit is the only reliable guide for a journey like that. So this is the heart of what it means to be spiritually formed. Just be a branch. You will bear fruit. And to God be the glory. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, grateful for this good word. Grateful uh, that you made us in your image. Grateful that when we rejected it and said no thanks, you still have made a way for us to be who you created us to be. So we thank you for the work done in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit that breathes that life back into us again today. And we pray that you will help us recognize that that breath is meant to be used for a purpose. That we are here for a reason. To tell the whole world this beautiful good news that you have told to us. We pray all this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening. You can find us online at www.fpc-kingwood.org. Our services are available on our website and find us on Instagram at fpc underscore kingwood. We'll see you next time.